You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we come again to the instruction of Jesus to his disciples on the night of his betrayal, the night before his crucifixion, and Jesus is talking to them about prayer. Now, I I want to spend most of our time this morning with verse 24 of the text, John 16, where Jesus says, Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. But before we get to that, a couple of things about what's going on in the text and what Jesus is talking about. Because he says, In that day you will ask me nothing, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And then he says, Before now you have asked nothing in my name. Now, What's going on with this text? Surely the disciples have been praying all the time, in fact, all their lives, right? Yes, right. But the apostles were praying like they were living in the Old Covenant. They had been praying like David and Moses had prayed, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, addressing their prayers to Yahweh or to Jehovah, the name revealed to the prophets. But now, in the New Testament, we know God by a different name, Jesus. God who saves, God who's in our flesh, carrying our sin, buried and raised for our salvation. So prayers in the New Testament are in a different name, the name of Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we are praying to a different God than those saints of the Old Testament. They knew the Messiah was coming, but his name was not yet revealed until the angels revealed it to Mary and to Joseph, saying, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And now his name has been made known in all the earth. So we pray to the Father through the Son, through the name of the Son, through the name of Jesus. And this is what it means to pray as Christians. And Jesus says that all such prayers are answered. Now, as just a little aside, one of the teachings of the Scriptures that we always want to underline in the text and we always want to underline in our teaching is the doctrine of the divinity of Jesus that he is, as we confess in the Catechism, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary. And the Scriptures teach us this fact in many different ways, and this is one of them. The text here is one of them. But when we're directed to pray in the name of Jesus, this is an indication to us that Jesus is, in fact, God. What, What would it mean to pray in the name of someone who is not God? But this brings us more to the point, and that mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Does it mean simply to say, in Jesus' name, at the end of our prayers? Now, that's certainly a fine custom. But to pray in the name of Jesus is certainly more than just words. It has to do with faith. It has to do with God's promises and everything that goes along with his promises. And and this is what I want to talk about today, and I hope especially that we would have more insight into what this means when Jesus says, ask, pray in my name, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Let's get at it this way. In Psalm 37, verse 4, we hear this promise. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this text is an often used text and an often misunderstood text, and I'll admit I used to read it the, the wrong way. The way I used to understand the text was something like this. If you love the Lord, then he will give you all the other things that you want. 
It's, it, this is the picture, at least the best, best picture I could think of to get after it. It's like all the things that I wanted were in a garden with a wall around it, and the love of the Lord was the gate to get into the garden. If I love God, then I'll, I'll get to go in there and have all my dreams come true, whatever those dreams happen to be. A happy, long life, a good-paying job, a fast car, a comfortable retirement. I mean, you fill in the blank. Whatever the dreams are, that's there, and you have to love God to get to those dreams. You can figure out what's in your garden by just looking what's on your bucket list. <laughs> That's your garden list. The things that you want, that you desire, that you hope to accomplish in life. Now, here's the problem with the way I was reading the text. I understood the two things from Psalm 37. And remember, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I understood those to be two different things. Delighting in the Lord and the desires of my heart. Two distinct categories. But this is the wrong way to read the verse. The verse, in fact, is bringing those two things together. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart means that when the Lord is what we want, when the Lord is who we want and who we desire, when His Word and His gifts are the object of our delight, then we have what we want. We have everything that we want and desire. Our delight and our joy will be full. Do you see see it? It's not like the love of God or faith in God, is the door to get into the garden of what we want. It's that God is the garden. His name and His Word and His kingdom and His gifts are the thing that we are after. God is not a means then to a greater end. He is the means and the end. Like He said to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. So that our faith, our faith in God, in fact, changes what we want. Our faith in Christ changes our desires. Our trust in God changes what our delight is and what our joy is from whatever it is that we happen to want to Christ Himself. When you delight yourself in the Lord, when that is what you want, then that is what you have. Now, I think that most of us, and the reason why this is kind of tough, is that most of us think of our delights and our desires as simply something that are. They're fixed. They're untouchable. This is what I like. That's what I don't like. It's always been this way. Who's changing it? And this attitude not only is in our own heart, but I think it sneaks into the church, and it, and I've even heard it in some preaching. It's something like this. Everybody out there, the people, have an idea of what they want, and now God has to come and give you what you want. He has to come and meet your felt needs. But here's the problem. What if you want the wrong thing? What if you desire something that's ungodly, bad, evil, wrong, dangerous, or even just unnecessary? Is God going to meet your wants then? And it turns out that we have a wanting problem. We want the wrong stuff. We desire the wrong things. We delight and take joy in the wrong things. Now, this is not always the case. It's, it's not wrong, for example, to want to eat and to sleep. And in fact, even sinners, unbelievers, can want to do external good works towards the neighbor. It's not wrong to want to protect your family or to protect your country 
or to desire your neighbor's happiness, and so on. And we can, in some limited way, want these things. But when we start to consider the whole range of what we want and what we desire, we start to uncover what the old theologians called concupiscence, what the Scripture calls the lust lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That is, that our fallen sinful nature wants the wrong stuff. We want to sin. We delight in wickedness. Jesus says it like this. Men love the darkness more than the light. This means that we love the darkness more than the light. We love the wrong things. We want the wrong things, desire the wrong things, delight in the wrong things, take joy in the wrong things. You got the idea, right? And the Bible captures this idea by talking about our belly. The belly becomes the the symbol of wanting the wrong stuff. And the belly is preaching to you every day. You know the sermon that your belly preaches. It says, I mean, it, you know, sometimes if a pastor preaches the same sermon twice, you say, I've heard that one before. But you never get tired of hearing the sermon that your belly preaches every day. And it's a really simple sermon. It says, feed me. <laughs> Give me what I want. And you hear it. Now, look, remember how Paul talks about the enemies of the gospel. He writes to the Philippians and he says, their God is their belly. See, the belly as the source of desires is there teaching us, teaching us what we should want, teaching us what to pray for. There are a lot of prayer, belly prayers going on. Here are the things that my belly wants. Here's a list of my pleasures to fulfill. And we go to God and pray for those things and so forth. Now, what it turns out is that not only do we want the wrong things, but we don't want the right things. The last thing that our belly wants is a savior even though that's the thing that we need the most. So we've got a problem, a twofold problem, maybe a threefold problem. We want the wrong things, and we might recognize it, but not really. We don't want the right things, and we think that we are stuck with what we want, with what we like and with what makes us happy. We just think that it's an immovable block. It's just how we are. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus prays, or Jesus tells us, pray and I'll give you whatever we want. And we say, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure that some of the things I want are not what you want to give, Jesus. And the result of this, I think, is that we don't pray. Now, this isn't the only reason that we don't pray. It's not the only problem that we have when it comes to prayer. But I do think that it's part of it, that we have this uncomfortable sense that there is a gap between the things that we want, the things that make us happy, and the things that Jesus wants to give. There's a gap between the things that we think will give us joy and the things that we think that Jesus will be happy about. There's a space between our desires and the gifts of God. That's true. But the problem all along is with what you want. With what I want. So a large part of our Christian life concerns these things. It concerns our desires and our joys. We we notice ourselves wanting the wrong thing, and we actually repent of that. We see the things that God has promised, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would create in us godly desires for those gifts of God. Now, I'm convinced that this is one of the chief gifts that the Lord Jesus gives to us in the Lord's Prayer. Because if we were left to ourselves to pray for the things that we want, to pray our belly prayers, 
Who knows the things that we would pray for? But here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us, this is what you should want. These are the things that you should desire. My holy name, my kingdom, my will, daily bread, forgiveness of sins, leading and deliverance from trouble, and so forth. These are all of the things that we ought to want, that we should desire and long for and rejoice in. And it so happens, dear saints, it so happens that these are also the exact things that God wants to give to us. And this is what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. It means to pray from the renewed desires of the new man, of the Spirit. Or to say it as simply as possible, to pray in the name of Jesus means to pray that God would keep the promises that He's given. So we might want to pray for long life, which I suppose is fine, but God has not promised it. Instead, the Spirit teaches us to pray that we would die in the faith. We might want to pray for a life of ease without suffering, but God hasn't promised that. In fact, He promised the opposite. He says, in this world you will suffer. So the Spirit teaches us to pray that we would count it all joy when we suffer. We might pray for a good reputation, for a good name. God hasn't promised it. But the Spirit teaches us to pray that God's name His name would be holy and His kingdom would come. We we might pray that the church would be full every Sunday, but God hasn't promised it. The Spirit teaches us to pray that the church would be faithful, and so on. So the Holy Spirit is, in fact, reshaping our desires. Reshaping them according to God's will and God's promise. And the first place that this happens, by the way, is in regard to our sins. Our flesh wants to save ourselves, but the Holy Spirit comes and gives us repentance. That is, faith in Christ, a desire for and a delight in Christ as our Savior. And the Holy Spirit continues this work to reshape what we want, to bend our love away from the things of this world and towards the things of the kingdom of God. Because when we desire the things of this world... Those desires always are disappointed. But when we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. And then we ask, and we will receive, and your joy will be full. Now, at this point on my sermon, it says, look at everybody's face to see if they heard everything so far as law or gospel. (laughs) And I can't tell. This is a tricky thing, right? Our desires. Because our desires are, uh, again, we think simply embedded and part of who we are. But the Holy Spirit changes us. He remakes us. He makes us new and holy. He calls us to be Christians. And this is a true thing, that we are constantly being tempted to want the wrong stuff, but we can recognize that as a sin. I, I, by the way, think that that's one of the best parts of being a Lutheran pastor, because Lutheran theology is really one of the only theologies that recognizes our desires as sinful. Most other theologies say, if you don't act on it, it doesn't count as a sin, They go back to the old proverb from St. Augustine. Remember this? Augustine says, well, you can't stop the birds from flying over the head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. 
That's true and good advice. But, but remember that even our, our, our desires are a sin. Now what this means just very, very practically is that when people come to me and say, Pastor, I have all these uh, sinful desires. I want to do all these wicked things. I want to, for example, I want to hurt myself or do harm to myself. You know what most pastors say is, well, just don't do it. That's all they can say. There's nothing, there's no sin yet, so there's nothing to forgive. But do you know what we can hear when we consider those sinful desires and we say, I want all of these wrong things? Jesus comes along and says, I forgive you. Even the wrong things that you want, I forgive you. Even your sinful and crooked desires, I forgive you. So that his, the forgiveness of your sins goes all the way down. It, Jesus just doesn't forgive what you've done or what you've failed to do, what you've, what you've said or what you've failed to say. He forgives what you've thought and he forgives what you've desired. So that you are pure all the way down. Forgiven even to the root of it all. And the Holy Spirit who brings forgiveness all the way to your desires, also gives you those desires to want the things that God wants to give. So Jesus says, delight yourself in me and you will be satisfied. Long for my kingdom and you will be full. Hunger and thirst for righteousness and it will be yours. Because, dear saints, Christ died And Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.